Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Solarchuk. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. PD, how are you doing today? A little tired. Just got off work, but we're chilling, hanging out, hit the gym. Nice shoulder day. Not a fan of shoulder day, but you know, you got to do the stuff that you, that you don't like, right? That's how right. you grow, man. So let me tell you guys about this episode that we're going to have. Another great episode in store for you guys. Today, we're going to talk about how to survive your first day off orientation. An orientation that is being a new grad, as well as orientation being a travel nurse. There's a little, there's a few key steps to surviving this. It's kind of, it's, it's rough. I'm not going to lie. It takes a lot of time. You're not going to be, be perfect. It's just first day off orientation. No one expects a lot, a lot from you. You should expect a lot from yourself, but you know, you're not that high in the pedestal. So people don't expect very much from you. And this is perfect because me and Peter just literally got off orientation. So this is fresh in our minds. I was off for three months and I had a pretty, not a rude awakening, but I learned quite a bit getting back into things. So I think we're going to drop a lot of golden gems here for you guys. But before we start the show, I wanted to say that we've been working on a lot of things. We've been freaking hustling, man. So if you were sitting a little bit closer to me, I'd give you like a little knuckle there. But we're actually in a new studio. It looks freaking sick. I like it. We're missing a few things. I think we need some cup of nurses mugs. I think we're missing a cup of nurses painting up there on the wall for those that are watching on YouTube or seeing Maybe, it visually. Matt, what we should do is just buy like a, a placat or like a, like a canvas and just paint ourselves. Get some spray paint, take it on the street, and well, then just do something cool. I was thinking we could pay somebody and make it look cool, but we could always do it ourselves and you say know? you did it. Yeah, we can. It's California. You know, everyone's vibing. I'm vibing. But if you guys are tuning in on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you obviously can't see us. So we highly recommend you checking our YouTube. This is a nice, this is probably the nicest studio we've had so far. Very, like you said, a very nice background. But if you guys are driving, hold off on the YouTube. Maybe on a red light, you can subscribe and then come back to it, you know, um, when you get home or get to work or wherever you are. But on orientation, so there's obviously a big difference when you're orientating as a new grad compared to when you're orientating as a travel nurse. Correct. You are a new grad, so you're going to need a longer orientation, usually about 13 weeks until you finally are able to take that first step on becoming like a, just a regular nurse. Uh, Travel-wise, they give you maybe on unit orientation, maybe one day or one night of unit orientation. And then they do a little bit of off-unit orientation with like just like making you aware of their policies and procedures, maybe like two or three days. We did two days of off off unit orientation and then we did i did one unit one day on the unit you didn't didn't do any kind of unit yeah because i've i've already worked in this place we're in cali by the way for those that are wondering i've worked in this place before as a travel nurse i re-signed a contract to the same place for me they just kind of told me hey you're good to go you've been here three months ago jump back into it and so i did and that was interesting and luckily you know, we're doing this whole travel nursing thing. We have a travel nursing vlog out too. So if you guys aren't in tune with that, you should definitely check it out. We got a few episodes already out. We got more coming in. It's going to be about travel nursing, just our experience as travel nurses and just living the life in SoCal. And the personalities are out. So if you guys are wondering who the heck we are, how we do things, the goofiness that we provide, it's all in there, all personality. I'm drinking a White Claw right now because I can. And it's halfway done. I mentioned before, every, every sip I take met... Matt's SMV increases by like, like 0.5. What's Easy. SMV? What is it? Social marketing value or something? Sexual market sexual value. Market. This guy, man. So social. I'm looking like a snack, huh? Well, I don't want to say sex, so I just to use social market value. So right now you're at about like a, I mean, you know, I prefer the other sex, prefer females, but you know, looking pretty good for your age. 
Thanks, bro. Thanks. I think my metabolic age is like 27. Nice 24. Isn't that interesting? I wonder how they figured that out, like the metabolic age. Like, where does that come from? Yeah. We have a scale that we just kind of sit on and it kind of tells us, you know, like body fat, lean, you know, BMI, like lean muscle, like uh, composition and things. And it, tell, it told us our metabolic age. For some reason, I'm 26, but it told me I'm 27 metabolically. It's okay. It fluctuates because uh, before my surgery or yeah, before my surgery, I was 24. And after my surgery, I was 27. And now I'm back to being 24. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But our, like the uh, body fat percentage on our scale is actually pretty accurate. I'm not sure what yours was on the scale, but mine today and the day prior was 11.8%. And they told me it was like 12.6 at, at our gym. And that was after eating like a high carb meal because buddy Luke made some fire ass smoothies, man. Yeah, I think I had about percentage difference, but ultimately, like those that are wondering, like you'd even need to like do all that fancy stuff and look at scales and get percentages and clip your fat with calipers. As long as you look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you look good or you are feeling good, that's all that matters. You know, you look at it, you think you need to drop some more weight because you're not like looking lean. That's like the best marker, man, with the scale. Like I've, I've always hated counting macros and stuff like that because of that. I actually told myself, uh, a few days ago at work, I'm going to start doing macros starting Monday. I'm not, I'm not going to be part of that. And then I know you don't have to be, but I told myself that, you know, I was going to, I told myself that I'm going to start fasting and what happens today came from the gym, ate like two boxes of berries, ate like a, like a parfait and now I'm drinking a weight claw. So th- that goal went out the window. But when you like have a, we talk about scales, when you have a scale and you're not sure if it's accurate or not. The accuracy isn't going to rely in that one number itself. If you're a numbers person, it matters about the trends. You know, because if your scale is is off by, let's say, 5% of body fat, but you're seeing the trend as you're decreasing body fat on that scale, well, then guess what? You're going to be decreasing body fat. That's, that's why, like, trends are more important than the, the actual, like, the physical number itself. Because if you're downtrending, even though the numbers might not be correct, the downtrend is going to be correct. It's going to show you that you are progressing. That's why I, I like my scale because it, like our, our, our scale, because it shows me like uh, I posted like a few days ago, like my, my weight progression, you know, it's, it's, that's like, uh, it's, it's not about the definitive number. It's just about the trends. And that's legit. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing it going up and you're feeling better. You're lifting more and that's, that's all that matters. Yeah. But I'm not leaning out. The video you sent me about that guy, uh, he looks, looks pretty lean. Calisthenics, mm-hmm. baby. But let's start with this. So. You have finished orientation for new grads, travel nurses, but I really want to focus more on new grad nurses because we probably have a lot more listeners that are nursing school are curious. And it's your first day off. So for one, let's start with this. It won't be perfect, right? Your first day on your own, you can't expect to know everything. And that even goes with even like going to a new facility. Like you're going to be lost. You're going to feel like that oddball that's looking for things. You're going to feel stupid asking questions but you have to be asking questions you have to recognize that it's normal behavior no one is going to look at you that you don't know your you know skills or anything like that just ask even four years of nursing school is not enough four years of of nursing school and then 13 weeks of orientation does not make or cannot prepare you to know everything like we've been nurses for what almost like four years and we still don't know anything. And we've been out of school for four years and we've been nurses for four years. And it just shows that you are never going to know anything or you're never going to know everything because a patient might come with similar signs and symptoms, but their diagnosis might be different. You know, every, we're all, we're all different. We're not robots. We're not machinery. We're not cars. We just 
figure out, hey, the check engine light's on, it's code this, so it's got to be this. Yeah, like the big thing is, even though you might not know like the facility where things are, you know, et cetera, the big thing is your patient status. So always be aware of like what can happen. And if the patient's declining, like notice, if anything, be detail-oriented about your patient's like stability. Mm. Recognize changes, recognize when things are different or they're mumbling or now they, they forgot where they are. Of course, there's sound, you know, um, I'm sorry, sun, sundowning, mm. but be very, you know, like meticulous with that because if you got that down no matter what happens outside of your patient you have that safety point down the rest you could figure out you could ask people and it'll be a happy fairy tale mm -hmm. hopefully yeah the second tip we have for you guys or second recommendation is to stay organized it's a little difficult to kind of stay on task and stay organized like your first day off orientation because you're still learning so what i highly recommend is to grab a piece of paper write down your meds write write down what time you're going to give these meds Write down a task you got to do. So if if um, if you're having a hard time or let's say your patient is, you know, critically ill and, you know, he's decompensating or declining and you're really busy with that patient, once you stabilize him, you're still going to be a little bit frazzled. Like you're still going to be nervous, still going to be anxious, and you're not going to really know what to do next. You stabilized him, great, but what's next? What else do, you, do I got to do? Because you have to do other things besides stabilize the patient, correct? So during that time of anxiety, during that time you're frazzled, you have a nice piece of paper written out everything you have to do. So instead of bringing on more anxiety, thinking, hey, what do I got to do next? What else do I got to do? What do I got to do for a patient in bed 20? You have this piece of paper that literally says when you got to give meds, what do you got to do, all the dressing changes. So it kind of takes a little bit of a thought process out. It makes your life a little easier. Yeah, and it's it's it actually helps out when you're working med surge. It's especially you have like five to six patients usually, and you forget all the tasks you have to do. So at least you could write down like, hey, I got to do – you know, I got to do sepsis on all five of my patients. So you'll write that out, you know, for every patient or specific meds or specific tasks that it requires. And you'll just cross those things off as they go. Because, you know, you might you might think you have everything down and then it's like freaking 7 a.m. and you're looking back through your charting and then you're just like, damn it, I got to stay longer. I got to do this. But if you tell yourself, hey, I'm going to have this checklist and if I check things off on this white piece of paper then maybe you could not, you don't, you don't have to double check your work and then you have to go through it again in the morning. Right. And it's always a little awkward when you remember you're supposed to do something at like 6.50, 7 o'clock and you're about to give a report and a nurse comes in and you're like, uh, you know, I forgot to change the Mepilex. Like, I'm sorry. It's just like, you, you wanted to do it, you meant to do it, but, you know, you forgot. It's always a little bit awkward. Like, you know, it's a 24-hour job. It shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad for not you know, completing all your tasks because, like I said, it's a 24-hour job and we don't get to everything, you know, things happen. But you always get that little feeling of, you know, you're always frustrated and you're always kind of, you know, feeling kind of awkward of saying, hey, I didn't do this. You can even do it for me. Right. So it's like you have those, like, structures in place, but you're in organized chaos. Mm -hmm. So it's always going to be, you're always going to be forgetting shit. Mm -hmm. Like, it happens all the damn time. Like, you know you know that, like, you met a quest at a, va a Vanco or antibiotic and then, like, an hour later, pharmacy never sent it. You know, technically, it's their responsibility, right? Why isn't the med here? Ultimately, though, it's your responsibility because you have to hang it. It's been over an hour. You forgot about it. And you're like, shit, that is what it is, you know? So you can't just beat yourself up if, you know, you're like not organized or you're kind of like scrambling with things. That's okay. You'll you'll figure out what works for you, your system, you know? Uh, just like we say, hey, maybe write a piece of paper and write all this stuff down. Some people don't like that. Maybe you could just use your MAR. A lot of 
A lot of hospitals use Epic. Usually there's something called the brain or it's like this organized section for like check marks that shows you all the tasks you need to do in other charting systems. It's, it's going to be called like a work list. So maybe get familiar with that instead of using a paper, whatever, whatever you desire, right? It's just like a nursing school when you're studying. Some people like PowerPoint, some people like writing a bunch of things down. Some people like to use flashcards, whatever, you know, whatever your heart desires to kind of get the job done. I just want to touch base a little bit on, on isolation. So if you have a patient in isolation, staying organized is important because there's been a handful of times that I still do it to, to this day where I'm confident in myself that I have everything. And guess what? You forgot something. And guess what? You gowned up. You're in there. Drop the, drop the precautions. Airborne. It doesn't matter what it is. Guess what? Now you got to ungown. You got to leave. And that, that takes up a lot of your time. And, it, and it's really frustrating. So you're better off taking extra supplies and leaving it in there. Yeah, it's not cost effective, but sometimes you got to sacrifice the cost over for your mental health or you, you staying sane because there's been times where I got off orientation and I couldn't grasp the concept of, hey, just bring in a bunch of stuff or I couldn't grasp the concept of how important organization was and I'd be coming in and out of the same room three or four times and it would be frustrating. Or it's also frustrating when you, you know, when you have a nurse sitting there and you keep asking for her to bring things. Like, you know, yeah, it's simpler for you, but if that nurse is having a busy day, they don't want to keep bringing you stuff. So it's always good to grab like a, like a bin and just grab a, a, like the, um, what are those pink things called? Not the bin, but the where you, if you wash somebody up, you put water in their washcloths. Is it a pink bin? A, b- a basin? A basin, like the one of those big basins. And put a bunch of supplies in there and just bring it in, in there with you. Even the supplies that, that you don't need that you think you might, just in case, just bring there. Like it could stay there. It's not that big of a deal. Hospitals make millions of dollars. You're fine. Yeah, and like the my little hack for the way I kind of like to stay organized is I use alcohol pads literally for everything. I write down my like meds. I write down my temperatures on there. I write down like all my inputs and outputs, intake and outputs. So like the Foley, the chest tubes, if there were JP drains, NG suction, or suction the outputs. I put everything on an alcohol pad. I put that in my little pocket and then I walk my happy ass over to the yeah. chart and then I have it all in my alcohol pad, and I know I won't forget things. I'm not sure if you've seen all the rooms, but the rooms that I've, I had on my last shift, the whiteboard is located perfectly right where I could see it through the window. And because I, I was charting in between my two patient rooms, so I had room on my left and room on, on my right. And the whiteboard was perfectly located so I could see it right through through the window. So I literally wrote down all my temperatures, all my takes and outputs, and I would just, you know, look at that. That's very convenient. That's, I, have, haven't, I haven't seen that before. You know, because usually in my prior hospital, seeing the, the the whiteboard was you can't see it from where you're charting. This is very clutch. And that's also a habit I need to work on where I never update the whiteboard. Oh, I don't I don't update it at all. It's I mean I don't use it at all. I just happen to use it at that point in time. I mean I know I should use it, and you know it, everyone's pushing to use it, but sometimes you forget. You don't have the time. Like who's got time to update the whiteboard? Wait wait, wait till a patient tells you. Well, why don't you put your name on the board? I've I've had a I've had a patient here actually that was a previous nurse and she pointed it out to my charge nurse actually, like you know are, are, you, are you the charge? Oh well I I didn't know because you didn't put your name on the board, mm-hmm. and he ha- he had to say something smart too. He's like well that's good because then you don't know my name. He's like well you already told me your name. So mm-hmm. she was like one of those smart asses, but that's okay. You know you have those, and you know that's freaking nursing. But that's how we stay organized mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. I do I do alcohol pads. I'll do a paper if I have to write things down. Especially, especially if you got a doctor calling, guys. If you got a doctor calling, it's best to prep. Especially if you don't have like a twenty four hour hot, um, physician, they're gonna get freaking pissed. So, 
if you're about to call, this is like an extra tip I just thought about. So like almost like a proper S bar, right? Well, it'll go with staying organized. Because if you're a proper S bar, then you're most likely an organized person. Yeah. Find out why you're calling. If you're calling about, let's just say, I'm trying to think. Let's just say you're calling about a specific lab. Um, low potassium. It, low potassium. You maybe they want to ask different things, or if you're calling about like, you know, hemoglobin, maybe they're going to ask about electrolytes. Whatever, whatever the case might be, or if you if you want to give a specific med, like let's just say they're in pain, they're gonna, what's that? Oh, toradol. So a lot of pain, you need anti-inflammatory. You ask for toradol. Doctor's going to be like, what's the creatinine level? Because that drug gets excreted through the kidneys. So you want to write those things down before you call. Just so you're kind of straight business. And the doctor's going to respect you for that too because you're not wasting your time and searching around the mar while they're like, oh, hold on a second and things like that. So I like doing that. Yeah, since we're on SBAR, the next tip we have for you guys is to get a good report. The nurse that you're going to get a report from is a primary nurse. So she's going to know more about that patient than anybody else than the charge nurse. And she is going to be your key resource for finding out what happened with the patient, what the plan is, and everything in between. So if you're not sure about something, you're a lot easier off asking that nurse instead of looking at a chart. Because sometimes I'm like, no, I'll just, I'll just find it myself. And guess what? I don't find it. Or guess what? I forget about it. And then the same nurse nurse comes on. And I'm like, hey, I couldn't figure this out. And she's like, oh, yeah, because, because of this. And I'm just like, damn, if I would have just, just, you know, growing a pair of balls and just ask instead of just, you know, thinking I could just do it later or finding it on, my, on myself, my life would have been a lot easier. I'm like 50-50 on that. So the devil's advocate part of me says... That does happen. I love asking, but also like sometimes you know that nurse just wants to get the hell out of there. They're giving a quick ass report and th they're forgetting things. Like this one nurse, you know, like she told me it's a cabbage times two, but it really was a cabbage times one. And, you know, I just didn't think anything of it or that one situation where I usually like to find out my IV accesses all every single shift. I'll, I'm even that picky with the nurse. I'm like, where is it and what gauge sometimes? It's good to know. And she didn't tell me anything. It was my first day off orientation, actually. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be a dick and ask all these questions. I'll just figure it out myself. So she didn't tell me where the IV was. Turns out the patient never even had an IV. And they were on telly. So they needed to have an IV in. And the patient was being transferred at the same time. So I'm like, I got to take care of this right away. Start of shift. All right, cool. First thing I'm doing, starting an IV. I, I, do, I um, stick her twice. Couldn't get it. Ask my charge, stuck her twice, couldn't get it. Then ask freaking another nurse, she stuck her twice, finally got it. Six IVs, right? Took over an hour just to deal with something where if I asked her and she's like, there's no IV, I would have been the person, not because I'm a dick, but you got to do what you got to do. I'd be like, hey, can you start an IV before you leave? I would have been very upset if a nurse told me that, hey, yeah, he's got an IV. To be honest, I it don't is care. what it is. You it know is, what I mean? It is what it is, but it is very upsetting because imagine if, you know, your other patient got, got busy and you were in that patient room for two hours. So let's say you get on a shift, get a report at seven, and guess what? You're stuck in that other patient room till nine. And now it's 9.30, you finally go check out your other patient and, you know, you're behind on, on your meds and this patient starts complaining of nausea, vomiting, and you have like IV Zofran ordered. And guess what? You're looking for the IV. You don't have IV Zofran. The patient's going to be pissed. You're already pissed and, you, and you're already behind. So just out of, out of respect, like it doesn't matter if that patient came in at 6.30 p.m. and you didn't, you didn't have enough time to do it. You should at least have the common courtesy to at least, at least be like, hey, he got here at 6.30. He's got no IV. I'll try it once. If I don't get it, 
guess what? He's not going to have an IV, but I'll, I'll try at least once out of common courtesy because like people don't understand the importance of IV access until shit's the fan. Right. Or they don't flush their IVs and guess what? Shit's the fan and guess what? You have three IVs and they're all blown. They're all blown. Yeah. You know, that kind of, that sucks. That happened to me on um, when I was orientating on my, on my first day. So lady had two IVs, uh, both were blown. So, I mean, I started, luckily we caught that early on and I just started a new IV on her. But like, imagine being in an emergency situation and you're, you're pushing meds and oh, IV's blown, IV's blown. Did you check it? No. You know, you're mostly gonna, you know, probably lie and say, yeah, it was, it was, it was working, but honestly you didn't. And that kind of puts frustration on yourself a little bit more deeper inside because you're like, damn, I fucked up. I should have done it. And now this patient is suffering because, you know, I got lazy or, you know, there's, don't get me wrong. There is times where you don't have time to do it and, and you get away with it. But, you know, there's exceptions to this rule. But if you have the time, you should just at least flush it, man. Like you're assessing the patient anyway. Just like it doesn't really take that much time to flush an IV to see if it works. Yeah. Th- and that's the thing with nursing that there's exceptions for everything. Not everything is done the one way, just like you say. And hey, understanding people. Could have been busy. Exactly. Because if it happens to me or if it, or if it happens to you, then guess what? It could happen to me. You know, like I'm not going to. I'm not gonna like not believe the story you're telling me because I guarantee whatever you tell me, I've probably had had worse happen to me. And you just kind of just like, okay, well, I get a um, you know, I, I get this patient with no IVs, shady situation, but at least she told me that it has no IVs. So you, you're not like running around like a, like a madman. Like I'm sure you were probably super upset. Yeah, and that's what happened with me where the patient had a cordis. Cordis meaning the patient had a swan in the right IJ. They pulled that out. They pulled out the cordis and tried sticking her once, and you just probably gave up on it. Didn't tell me. And that's cool, but yeah, just like you say, it pushed me back like an hour. Now I got to do meds and chart, and like that patient actually got discharged, and by 10 p.m., I already got an admission. Mm. So I was just playing catch-up to like 1 a.m., and yeah, just, just from doing something small like that by getting a good report, asking the right questions. And I'll do it for like the littlest things, like, hey, did the patient have a BM? No bowel movement. When was the last time they had one? Good to know, right? If mm-hmm. they're if they're constipated, well, maybe we, we need to start hydrating them. Maybe they need a colace, and that's what like separates the good nurses from the bad nurses. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody's just trying to get by in their shift, and they're kind of like, eh, or the patient, you know, the nurses that are critically thinking, mm-hmm. just like you say, IV access, man. Like maybe med surge or other nurses, they don't like think it's as important. But if you're doing the ICU and the high acuity shit, like you know when shit hits the fan and you don't have anything, that's so damn problematic. Mm-hmm. Especially when patients freaking hypotensive and you're starting to try starting to try, you know, start an IV while the freaking blood pressure is tanking. Mm-hmm. I mean you you know, there's an IO, but not every nurse knows how to freaking start an IO, which it's is scary stuff. Intra intraosseous. Mm-hmm. I actually in this hospital I started one, kinda felt like a badass because no one knew how to start one, patient was low. I like, where's the kit guys? Freaking just drill one right in the freaking um right below the knee. Is that where you, you commonly go, drop below the knee? Or does it matter where like an IO goes? Could it go in like the shin? Yeah, you could do the shin. You, you want could, a big bone, right? You want to do a big bone, yeah, where you could, you're able to do a pocket because you're, you're creating like a little pocket for the, the bone to actually like, you know, I'm, I'm sucking at describing it right now. But basically people think that bones are just bones, but they actually have, va- they actually have blood vessels. Mm-hmm. And if you drill it into the socket there, you're able to make this bubble where you're able to push meds through it. Um, so you could do either, yeah, the bone or in the shoulder. Mm. Shoulder is a little bit more tricky. I've never pulled one. In. I, I've pulled one out, but I've never actually pulled one in. 
Uh, so tip number number four, right? We're at. So tip number four is know where supplies are. That was one of my biggest struggle coming off orientation as a travel nurse. Um, I thought I could get I, like I, when I was orientating, I found like, hey, I should probably ask where all the, all these things are. But Peter just, was goofing gonna, off on his orientation day. Let's start with that, right? I wasn't goofing off. You know, I got to introduce myself. I got to show my personality. You know, I got to get to know these nurses. Because, you know, when you when you come f- when you work at ICU, you get like that. You kind of get big headed. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I could probably do anything. This is another, another ICU. Hell yeah. But, you know, push comes to shove. Next day I get off orientation. I'm just like, damn, dude, I don't know where anything is. I don't even know where the lead stickers are. I don't even know where suction equipment is. I don't know where anything. You just, somebody just get too confident in yourself. Um, it's not that I was lazy. I was just like, nah, I could probably figure it out. I guess that is kind of being, being lazy. Long story short, I was lazy, overconfident, whatever. Next day when I got off orientation, didn't know where anything was. Luckily, Matt was there. I'm like, hey, Matt, where's this? Hey, Matt, where's that? Hey, Matt, can you give me this? Hey, Matt, can you give me that? Give that? And luckily, you were break nurse. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting annoyed with me, but, you know, I usually don't ask for, for a lot, I got for you, a lot of help. Thanks, man. Like, I usually don't ask for a lot of help because I like to do my, do my own things just because even though, like, even if I'm drowning in, like, tasks, I like to do do them anyways, even if I got to stay over it, because then I know it gets done. Like it's kind of, sounds kind of funny because I'm a nurse could probably do it just as well as me or even, even better. But the fact that I I did it and I know it's done, that's like, gives me less anxiety. It's like an OCD for the ICU nurses Mm -hmm. where you want to do everything yourself, no matter what, Mm -hmm. even like cleaning up the room or tidying up or, you know, like, let's just say the patient had a bowel movement. You kind of want to be in there and, and doing that just so you could take a look at the skin. Cause what happens is sometimes we chart that the skin is intact, but we haven't looked at the skin. Mm. It is what it is. We're freaking busy. And then maybe at 12 o'clock, you'll look. So you always want to be on top of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's interesting how that changes when you have a patient deteriorating. Because if someone's like, I want to say coding, but say someone's being hypotensive and, you know, they're, they're vomiting and people are helping you. Like, it's different how we, how we flip. Like, if it's just like one task at a time, like, we'll stay, we'll stay over it and take care of everything. But when something critical, critical going on is like, we're more open to help. I feel like, you know, if you're starting a bunch of stuff, like you're starting like an anatrope, like, like, um, starting like dopamine or dobetamine at the same time, you're starting vaso. And then doctor say, Hey, starting Malivo. Like if that, when we're all in the room together and starting drips, like I'm completely open to help. Hell and yeah. just those one, like just one task where you're just doing one thing at a time that I prefer to do myself. That's how it is. I agree with you. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you have a emergency, like you need help from, other nurses and resources. One thing that you mentioned that I wanted to clarify for those that are listening is being a break nurse. So one thing about a California is that they're unionized and nurses are required to take their 30 minute lunch, no matter what mandatory. So in this ICU, you have your typical nurses that have, you know, two patients, one nurse or one to one, depending on the severity. If you, if you do CRT, fresh open heart, you're going to have one, of course. And as a break nurse, you don't have any patients, you're basically going around beginning a shift, like QCing your devices, making sure everything is stocked properly, blanket warmer and other tasks. And then you basically have like five to six nurses for your shift, depending on what's going on. And you're going to take these nurses under 15 minute breaks, or you're going to take them under 30 minute lunches. And during that time, you basically do everything for that damn patient. Even if the patient had a damn stroke at that 30 minutes, you got to go down to CT with them. That's what you're going to be doing because you want that nurse to completely not be thinking about, you know, their patient. And just like I do, man, when I go take my lunch, I'm going to go take a freaking nap. Mm -hmm. I sleep. I don't want to think about my patient. I need that time to de-stress. 
Yeah, and like you feel refreshed too. Hell yeah. Because I feel like last night at work, I didn't take I didn't take a nap because I just didn't have time because I had to eat during during my break because I was trying to fast. And dude, I was super tired. I was exhausted compared to the night prior where where I did take a take a snooze. Complete, completely different. You're just like a whole new person. So we're talking about supplies now, getting organized, knowing where everything is. Number five is you should always know the bed you're given. Like today, I gave phenofibrate for the first time. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with phenofibrate. Anti-seizure medication? No, it's for, for high triglycerides. Say it again. High triglycerides? The first word. Oh, phenofibrate. Phenofibrate. I thought yeah. said phenobarbital. Not I was phenobarbital. thinking, no, no, no. cool. I did not no. heard of that. Phenofibrate. So I'm just like, luckily, I, I looked it up and my patient was like, hey, yeah, what, what's that for? I'm like, yeah, your triglycerides are high because you're in pancreatitis and your lipase is elevated, all your, you're in hypercholesterolemia, you have a bunch of screw labs, your NIN gap is high. And I never gave phenofibrate. So luckily I looked up micromedics, looked up what phenofibrate is. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I never, never given the medication before. And the patient asked me and I knew it. It just shows you like, back to, to number one, you're not going to know everything, right? I've been a nurse for, you know, four years and I didn't know what phenofibrate was for. Yeah. And you should be doing that in general for most meds that you're not aware of. It could be even the basic stuff like, hey, you know, if you're going to give low pressure IV, you should know a few things. It might drop your blood pressure and it might drop your heart rate too much. Normally, you're going to be giving it if the patient's tacky, right? Or if they're an AFib. So you got that out of the ballpark. But if the patient's, you know, blood pressure 90s, 80s, you better be careful about giving it. Mm. So how do you know that? You got to know about the med. So it's good to educate yourself. And just in general, like it just makes you a smarter nurse because now you know that med and you're going to know it for every other patient and what whatever you're doing. Yeah, blood pressure medication are always interesting because... Not only are they going to decrease blood pressure, they tend to decrease your heart rate as well. So it, you have to actually have your thinking cap on and you got to decide. So let's say he's got like, like a lobate all 10 milligrams and blood pressure is like, systolic, systolic is 170 and his heart rate is, you know, 54. You want to give that lobate all the 10 milligrams? You know, blood pressure is super high, but then he's also bradycardic, 54. Do you want to, you know, put him into a heart block or do you want to, you know, drop him too low where, you know, he, he, he codes? That's kind of the decision that you're going to have to make as, as a nurse. Maybe you should think about giving half the dose maybe, page out to the, to the physician, let them know. Maybe they can give you some different medication for it. So that's kind of the importance of looking up your medication, like you said, especially with like cardiac meds because they tend to affect both heart rate and blood pressure. Yeah, or like the little things, like you have levothyroxine and you need to pause your tube feedings usually for a patient, you know, like 30 minutes before and after giving that medication. So little, little reminders like that. So I would definitely, I got that, I got that drilled into my head from like my, um, my nursing, edu um, not educator, my, um, instructor, instructor when I was in the ICU during my clinicals, man, he hammered that stuff in. Like I had this guy that like, I wasn't a favorite. He really liked me, but he also was really hard on me. So sometimes I was like about to give meds or something and I see that man in the door staring at me when I'm in the hospital. I'm literally breaking a damn sweat. Like I'm like, fuck, man, what is he going to ask me? My Topra, what is Lipitor, what, what am I doing? Like, man, that guy challenged me. But that also, you know, led me to be accountable and I'm always kind of checking my damn meds. Yeah, no one's going to ask you that closely or those kind of questions like your instructor did. But even like simple questions that you might, you might bypass, like patient, a lot of patients you know, ask, hey, what is it for? A lot of them, they don't even ask what it's for. They just ask what the medication is. You can, you can read it off. But then if you're trying to pronounce it, you know, you don't sound very confident. You know, like phenobarbital, some people are might pronounce it wrong. And then you kind of sound like, like, like I don't want to be mean, but like a new grad or like, or like a new nurse. Because patients always have a different look 
uh, at your they look at you differently when you're a new grad compared to when you're like a seasoned nurse. Yeah. And you kind of want to give that look of even if you're a new grad, you still want to be confident and you want to. If you don't know what you're talking about, you want to at least seem like you know what you're talking about, but you don't want to lie. Like, you know, you could kind of bend the words a little bit. Like, they ask you, hey, what, what's my top roll for? Well, it's a cardiac med, it's for your blood pressure, but, you know, it's for blood pressure and, and your heart rate, technically. Like, you can get away with, 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 with things like that, but, you know, just be true, truthful, and, and honest. Like, if you don't know, don't know something, it's okay to say, hey, I'm not very familiar or I, I forgot, let me look it up for you before I give it to you. And that's why it's always beneficial to look it up beforehand because then you're not going in and out of the room. Yeah, and I like how you said the whole confidence thing because that matters a lot because if you have a patient that does not trust you with their life, that's going to be problematic. And I had patients before that told me, thank you so much. I can finally go home after two nights because I trust you. So that there have been family members that stayed with their patient because they just didn't see the confidence, I don't know, in the whole care or the nurse itself. But I, I affirm them that, hey, you could go home, go take a shower. So that's very important, man. Have a poker face. Even though if you don't know what's going on, just be like, I'm going to find out the question. Mm -hmm. have, have confidence that you will know the answers. Mm -hmm. Meaning, I don't know that right now, but I'll ask my charge nurse or I'm going to look that up for you now. We'll let you know. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's freaking nursing. There's so much shit in medicine. It's hard to know everything, but at least be the detective that you're willing to figure things out. And that's going to give you that confidence boost, not only for yourself, but so you could, you know, reflect that in your, you want to call it an aura or you're in your charisma mm -hmm. where another person will see that in you. And one of the best feelings you could have as like a new grad nurse or nurse off orientation is when you're about to go home, you know, introducing the patient to an upcoming nurse and a patient asks you, how long have you been a nurse for? Uh, well, this is only my, my, my first week. And your patient's like, Oh, only your first week? Like, you know a lot for your first week. And, you know, that makes you feel good. So that's why it's always good to, like, be on point with your patients and be on point with your patient care because they are going to recognize you for, for doing a good job. And if they point someone out, out like that, like, hey, you've only been a nurse for a week. You're doing a great job. Then it's reassuring. That makes you feel like, hey, maybe this is a career for me because you're going to have times where you're going to be drowning. You're going to have such a bad day where you're literally going to rethink your nursing career. You're going to be like... Am I really fit to be a nurse? Can I handle saving lives? Can I just handle people in general? You're gonna have a lot of those days. And these days, like 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 the one that you're gonna have where the patient acknowledges you for doing a good job, those are gonna make those bad days dissipate because you're gonna feel like you're doing more. Because a lot of times as a nurse, no matter how in control you are the situation, patient is gonna crash, they're gonna die, and you feel helpless. The patient feels helpless, the family feels helpless, and you as a nurse feel helpless because there's literally nothing you, you can do, even if you do the right things. So that's why it feels good to always be on point with your patient, and when you get the recognition, it always warms your heart, and it always makes you feel like you are going in the right direction. A little side note, do you remember when your first patient died on you? Uh, he didn't die on me, but I remember when I was off orientation, and a patient stood up for me, and he had a stroke, and he was inoperable, and he was in his, I want to say, late 30s or early 40s and inoperable and uh, they eventually withdrew of care. So I, I didn't see him pass away, I didn't, I didn't see him die, but I was there during the time of basically him being anal times four to completely unresponsive. Okay. What about you? I'm just, yeah, I'm wondering. I, my first incident was Christmas Eve, man. I had a patient that I was taking care of her all night. I still remember her name, I don't wanna say it. And everything was good, then change of shift, like she just coded, man. 
just we're doing chest compressions and it was Chris did I mention it was Christmas Eve? Mm-hmm. Okay, and like the craziest thing is like, you know, in the mornings usually family comes because the door opens up. So it's like seven thirty AM and the freaking family member is walking in and she's just like screaming on her knees while we're doing chest compressions. Look, I got chills, man. And it was like a whole scene and I was like I felt so shitty going home on Christmas Eve and I'm going with my, you know, I'm going to go spend time with my family, but yet this person doesn't have that privilege that I did in that Mm -hmm. time. And that really hit home, man. I think I kind of, I wasn't depressed about it or anything, but for sure for like a day or two, it really, you know, sat with me that like, damn, you know, this is, this is what happens. You know, this is nursing where you might just be taking care of somebody all shift and they're just going to disappear on you like that and just die. And it's just part of life. That's very interesting that happened to you on Christmas Eve because a few years ago I, I was charged and we had a patient that basically was a full cold, but I'm not sure it was a he or a she, but they were very ill, critically ill, um, BiPAP and everything. The, the patient you know, didn't want to be intubated, but the next course of action was to be intubated, even though he was a full cold. So we got we got the family in there. On, on, I don't know if it was Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, but that was very challenging because this you know how when a person is like gasping for air, they're struggling. She had the BiPAP on and just struggling for the air, struggling to, to survive. And luckily, the family decided with the patient to make them a, a DNR, basically oh, meds, meds only. So we did everything except the intubation. And that person didn't didn't pass uh, pass away on Christmas Eve or Christmas, Christmas Day. It was like two or three days later. But v- during that time, that patient was basically on his his last last limbs basically there's nothing that we really could have done done more for that patient and the outcome no matter what we did it was eventually going to be death within like a week time frame so it's, it's crazy how that works man i think in nursing you get i'm not saying you get like used to death but what happens is maybe you appreciate it a little bit different you have a it different definitely humbles yeah and i i mean i don't want to sound kind of weird i'm not i think this makes hopefully i'm saying it the right way but I've, I guess I want to say is like you, for me at least, like I appreciate death more because I used to look at these patients and they're suffering and that makes you appreciate you're just like, like, like death. We don't know what happens after, after we die. Right. But when we think of death, we think of, you know, the end, it's scary. It's the worst thing that could happen. But sometimes you see these patients on life support where they're struggling, you know, they're physically dying in the, from the inside out, you know, they're. They have obstructions, they're getting a cardiac bowel, you know, they're going in and out of surgery and the family does not want to let them go. And you know, mentally or internally, even though a patient can't talk, they are for sure struggling and they are in pain. Yeah. So I have a new patient, I have like a, this built this appreciation for death that if I'm in a situation, I'd rather, you know, you know, die if I'm, in, if I'm in that case, because that is definitely the better way to go than being miserable in a situation where there is no there is no kind of means to an end. Like by means to an end, I mean like means to a treatment. For L- you. Like a good outcome, yeah. basically. Yeah. I, I like how you say that because we see that a lot. Yeah. And you know you can walk into a room, you're going to get a report, and you can make that assumption like this person, not that they don't deserve to live, but the the quality of life, right, that balance beam that we have, their quality of life is so bad there's no point to live in a way where they're just suffering more than they're actually enjoying their own life. And and that's so sad to see. We see it all the time. And yeah, you just, it's better for them to go, mm-hmm. especially these, you know, patients from nursing homes and pneumonia, 
they get freaking you know DQs and pressure ulcers, and it's it's sad to see. Mm. But let, let's go to um, the tip n- number six, right for orientation, which is to always um, keep asking questions. Keep guys. asking. I there's, blanked out the first. I'm like, damn, what's six? Okay, like keep asking right. questions. There's no thing as a dumb question. Yeah, sometimes you might think it's a dumb question and, and you might laugh it off, but you know, there really isn't a dumb question. You know, we all forget stuff like. I mean, this isn't really a question, but there's been a handful of times where you know how you clock in for the Pixis or whatever, and you, f- you forget your, your ID number. Like, I know it's not it's not a question, but like sometimes you just, you just forget things, and and it, it, it it's okay. Like you forget simple things, and just you're better off asking and being reminded, even though it's something easy and you should have known, compared to just leaving it alone through the, through the night or through the day, and then it turning into a big ordeal. Or sometimes you might just need a little bit of reassurance mm-hmm. for something very very small. Just ask. It does not hurt. And ultimately, like, who gives a shit what that person thinks, right? Because you li- are living your own life. This is your own license that you are responsible for. So if it makes you feel comfortable, ask the damn question. Like, who gives a... I feel like sometimes they're way too worried about what that person is going to think of me. And that prevents you from properly doing your damn job or properly asking the questions, which will not only give you like how, how do i say it like comfort a comfortable shift where you're not too stressed out about things you know that feeling where oh that nurse is busy so i'm not gonna ask i'm not gonna ask for help and then you're just kind of like doubling up your own stress and anxiety mm-hmm. for things you know and if you're asking questions guess what you're opening up a means of communication it's always the hardest part to get to know your coworkers is that first step of first step of creating open, open communication so you asking a question you're that's the first step to you not only knowing the answer, but also building a relationship with your coworker, with your peers. Right. You know, you're kind of breaking the ice. And if it's like a silly question, you know, and, and, you, and you make them laugh, they're going to feel like more open to you because, hey, this person didn't know what Metoprolol is for. We get Metoprolol every day. They just, they just forgot. And then they're going to be less shy or more inclined to ask you a question as well because because you're able to relate. Like, hey, Matt didn't know what it was, so I don't feel bad about asking a question either because, you know, if Matt doesn't know it, then it's okay if I don't know certain things. Yeah, and another thing is is we know that nurses eat their young, and maybe you started off orientation, a nurse kind of told you something, they kind of, they're a little bit nasty about things, now you want to don't, you don't want to ask questions now? Well, don't, don't let that one bad experience hold you or change you from doing nursing the way you want to do it. That nurse is a hoe. That nurse is a hoe. And like, you know, look at that, like even like in a relationship, you know, like just just because you got like cheated on, you got treated bad by another person, should you automatically assume that person is going to do it? Like they de- they deserve a clean slate, right? Mm-hmm. So give that other person the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's hard to freaking say. It's hard yeah. to say you had benefit of the doubt with this kind of stuff. But yeah, even though maybe you had a bad experience on the unit or you got some freaking nurses on the unit that are just, you know, a little bit stuck in their ways and think they know all their shit. Whatever, you know, still ask the questions. Like, fuck them, to be yeah. honest. I think they're saying what is like causation doesn't always mean correlation or co- in a way, or yeah. correlation. No, or correlation doesn't mean, always mean causation. Something like that. Like, yeah, you had a bad experience, but doesn't mean it's going to happen each time. Basically, what, what that saying is, is it? I'm trying to think. I'll look it up because I don't, I don't want to look we're tr- it up yourself, guys. We're trying to be poets, with, you know, we're just nurses, though. Yeah. Whatever, man. Or poet, nurse. We could probably rap as nurses. Wap. I'm done to rap. The wap. Wap. That's got some WAP going on. <laughs> Bro, chill. <laughs> uh, we could probably wrap this one up. Anything you want to add on? No, I'll just go over the quick tips again. Just, you should. Just for you guys that, that tuned in. But you should definitely check us out on YouTube, though. 
throw it in there at the end. Before you do that, not only that, but we have so much things coming out. Those that are listening to this full episode, we really appreciate you. Hit a five star, hit a comment if you can. Mm -hmm. But like we have a website out that's going to be out maybe in the next two weeks. It's going to be out for sure. We've been working on it hard. We just been going through a lot where we're transitioning from living in a different damn state, which is a whole nother ordeal, not including working full time and trying to get this up and podcasting for you guys. So thank you for always fucking with us. We appreciate that. Got some merch coming out too. the Anklex guy that we've been talking about. And it's just it, gonna keep on guy, going. all this stuff is ready. It just has to be primed and shipped to you guys. The website, yeah, the, the website was our biggest hurdle, I would say, in this like past two months from having everything out. But that's okay. You live and you learn. Just like, you know, nurses make mistakes. We make mistakes. We live and we learn. We adapt. And we are pumped for everything that's coming out. Yeah. And just like when you start something new, you, you have an idea on how long it's going to take you. But it takes you a lot longer than you, than you think. You know, like if you're going to go you know, make a sandwich, you think making a sandwich can take you a minute. But then, hey, you want a BLT now, you got to fry the bacon, you know, you got to put some mayo on it. It's going to take a little longer. You want that BLT, you know, so instead of a sandwich taking you, you know, four minutes to make, it's going to probably take you like 12. Yeah. You know, that's how life is. But it's a BLT, man, so take the extra stuff and make it because it tastes fire. That's what I'm saying. All right, guys, so the six tips that we gave you, just to reiterate them real quick, is, uh, or when you come out for orientation, it won't be perfect. You want to stay organized. You want to get a good report. Know where the supplies are. Always look up the meds and keep asking questions. No such thing as a dumb question. And we're not perfect. You won't be perfect. No one expects you to be perfect. Just do the best job you can. Don't or try not to leave stuff for the next shift. Complete what you got to complete. But it's okay if you don't finish. And I think if you take these six tips into consideration, I think you guys might have a better off orientation day. First shift, second shift, I think you guys will handle it. You guys will do great. That's what you guys went to school for. That's what you guys have been freaking working so hard for. You got a license to do it. It'll be fine. And I think ultimately we get anxious and we get way too far ahead of things. We kind of freak out. It's going to be okay. And that's all that matters. And all you student nurses, you guys and girls are going to be great nurses. Whoever is not a nurse, if you want to become a nurse, you can. And I'm sure you'll be a great nurse too. And we got anti study guide. So maybe you don't even got to go to four years of school. Maybe you can just study off our anti guide and just take the exam. Couple of nurses university coming soon, right? Exactly. Later, guys. Peace out. Peace.